Good morning and welcome to Lifestyle Tucson. My name is Mike Rapp and my guest for this portion of the program is Tim Cromer. He's with Interfaith Community Services here in Tucson. We'll be talking a little bit about uh, where they're at right now in the midst of the uh, COVID crisis and uh, where they've been in the past and where they're going in the future. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Uh, it's, it's a constant battle. Uh, I know that you guys have been uh, dealing with this uh, over the course of the, uh, the pandemic, but let's uh, start at the beginning. Give us a little background on Interfaith Community Services. It was uh, rather modest and it's now rather significant. Absolutely. Yes. Thanks, Mike. Um, so Interfaith Community Services started in 1985 um, when a few different faith communities got together and said, what would happen if people came together and joined forces, joined volunteers and resources so that we could help more people together than we can on our own? So we started with six different faith communities partnering together. Fast forward to today, there are 119 faith communities throughout Pima County that work with Interfaith Community Services, or ICS as we call ourselves. And those 119 faith communities are kind of the base of who we are. And we help people in a lot of different ways. We help people with emergency food from our food banks. We help people with rent and utility assistance to keep people from being evicted or have their power turn off during these cold winter nights. Uh, we help out seniors with rights to the doctor and the grocery store and other essential appointments. And we help folks find work at our job resource centers throughout town. So, so we is... help a lot of people. You, you started out yep. as a food pantry, and now it's, yep. you know, that uh, I guess was several hundred you're dealing with in the beginning, and now you're up to over 40,000 people uh, getting your benefits? That's correct. Yeah, last year we served around 47,000 individuals wow. throughout Tucson. All right. Well, let's talk about your facilities. Where are you located around town? Sure. We have uh, a few different facilities. Our, our largest facility is on the northwest side of town off of Ina Road. Uh, and then we also have a east side facility off of Broadway and Old Spanish Trail, that area. And finally, we have a south side facility at the El Pueblo Neighborhood Center off of Six and Irvington. Mm-hmm. Well, feeding people is an important effort, but as you pointed out, the Interfaith Community Services here in Tucson has expanded to, uh, I guess, a much broader effort. Um, what kind of experience do people have when they first get involved with um, community interfaith community services? Are they, are they looking for money? Are they looking for a job? Are they looking for a food? What's the, what's the uh, typical uh, entry point for somebody uh, who's going to benefit from ICS? It really is across the board, Mike. So we have a lot of people who first are introduced to ICS through our food banks. So they they uh, have run out of funding for that month. They don't have anything in the refrigerator, mm-hmm. and they know that they can come to ICS, and we can give them a lot of good stuff. We we're, we give out frozen meat, dairy, produce, you name it, we can mm-hmm. give it out. Um, but then they realize that we can help with a lot more things. And so maybe they uh, are, they're paychecks run and slim. They don't think they can meet their rent that month, and they can give us a call, and, and they can get some help with rent so they don't get evicted. Mm-hmm. Well, it gets really complicated in the midst of this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, this uh, novel coronavirus has slipped into almost everybody's life somehow, some way, and is uh, creating all kinds of problems right now. Are you seeing people that y- you hadn't been seeing in the past? 
Absolutely, absolutely, Mike. And that's been the, the, the most devastating thing about this pandemic is we are seeing people who ha- we've never seen before, who have never needed help before. I just got a, a, a letter from a woman named Bailey who came to our food bank, um, and she said before the pandemic came about, she was the one donating food to our food bank. She was the one giving money to our food bank, and now she was receiving help from us. So it, it's been it's been heartbreaking to see those things happen right now. Mm-hmm. When uh, you deal with people who have you know various issues beyond just uh, uh, need for a meal, how do you go about assessing a person's needs? Um, you know, determining how you can help them, um, and you know the best course for them. Absolutely. Yeah. So we are uh, blessed with a number of different grants that we receive from um, both uh, organizational partners and government partners. And so we have a lot of different options that we can um, offer to people. And and each one of those grants have different qualifications, but we always try to find a way to to fit somebody within one of these grants. And so we'll take a look at previous um, help that they have received from other agencies. We'll take a look at income levels. We'll take a look at um, if they have children in the family. All of those things can be factors in terms of what kind of help they can get. Um, Are you directing any government resources to these folks? We are, yes. Um, We we have received an influx of, of CARES Act-related uh, rental um, funding recently, um, and we've really ramped up the number of people that we've helped with eviction prevention, rental rental help. We've actually served nearly double um, the amount of people that we've served this time last year. So we've we've really ramped up the number of people we're helping with rent. Mm-hmm. How do you match up what the community needs ultimately with what you're able to provide? Um, are you flexible in your ability to? to offer different weightings to different aspects of uh, the help you offer the community? Yes, definitely. And we've during this time period, we've really had to uh, be flexible and, and figure out new ways of doing things. At the, the food bank, for instance, um, it used to be kind of a, a grocery shopping style where people would go around our food bank with a cart and, and pick out items off the shelves. These days, we've, we've had to, to turn it into a drive-through style um, where people drive through with their cars and um, we have volunteers that put uh, a set number of food into the people's trunks um, to keep uh, both our volunteers and our clients safe. Um, same thing has happened with rent and utility assistance, where we're doing pretty much everything virtually or over the phone right now. Speaking with Tim Cromer, he's with Outreach and Development for Interfaith Community Services, or ICS, as uh, many people know of the organization around town. It's been here since the uh, mid-'80s and it's blossomed into an enormous resource for our community. Tell us about uh, this this interfaith, this this ecumenical effort, this uh, getting churches and I assume temples and various other uh, kinds of faiths together on the same page. Do they all have a similar uh, motivation? Absolutely, yeah. So we have a single unifying mission that all of our faith community partners get on board with, and that's to help people in need achieve stable, healthy, and independent lives. And and we really live that out, and we look to our faith communities to, to live that out as well. And so we partner with everybody across the board, from Christians to Baha'is to uh, Muslims to to our Jewish congregations to you name it, um, people uh, come together to help others in need. And it's a really wonderful thing to see that we can put aside other differences that we have to help our neighbors. Yeah, well, alms for the poor is a 
a pillar of almost all the religions out there, just not Islam. Um, all right. Well, what uh, do you use any kind of uh, instrumentation to survey uh, what's going on there and, and how your people are doing and, and, you know, just essentially measuring progress with people you're trying to help? We do, absolutely. That's a big thing about what we do at ICS is uh, we can say we've, we've helped a lot of people, but if we can't measure how much we help them and, and the why of uh, whether or not they're coming back and going to need to continue to need help, uh, then what's the point? And so we, yeah. we do a lot of tracking of when uh, people first come to see us. We do um, what's called a self-sufficiency matrix. It sounds really complicated, but it's basically getting a handle on what sorts of needs they have at the moment and then we help them uh, meet as many of those needs as we can and then we take the same survey six months to a year later and a lot of times we see there's been significant growth in those areas, hopefully due to, to, to what ICS has been able to help them with. Um, and so we see big increases in people's independence um, over the time that we work with them. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess you're going to have to take into account some of the uh, impacts that uh, the coronavirus has had on families. Um, how are you working that, that particular metric into your efforts at ICS? Yeah, so we we do want to take into account that people might be unemployed longer than they they have been in 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 quote unquote normal times. So we do think about that. We also think about the other kind of government services that are out there and try to take into account for those as well. Thankfully, there there are a lot of different kind of safety nets out there right now than there used to be, um, and so we're trying to take advantages of, of those as well to make sure people have access to those new kinds of help. And then we take that into account of um, how we do these surveys and that sort of thing. How are you able to work with similar organizations around the country? Networking is always so important in terms of uh, not only uh, sharing ideas, but sometimes even resources. Um, are there other entities around the country that you guys are um, aware of and, and can uh, work with in order to maybe not reinvent the wheel in certain areas? Absolutely, yes. So we we work closely um, not only with agencies a- outside of uh, the Tucson area, but a lot of agencies right here in Pima County, right here in Tucson. There's a lot of other agencies doing good work um, and doing things that ICS doesn't do. Uh, ICS does not have a homeless shelter, and so we we will work with with folks who come to us who are homeless, um, and we'll help them in ways that we can. We'll we'll help them with a bus pass. Maybe they. Uh, could use uh, a new ID to get government services. We'll help them in those ways, but then the, we'll direct them to those wonderful agencies right here in town that are doing good work and things like uh, like homeless shelters and um, uh, other kinds of uh, healthcare kind of related um, organizations. And so we we form a network of agencies here in town to to meet people's needs in all sorts of different ways. Mm-hmm. Well, your staff obviously includes you know dedicated professionals who've been trained to do some of these things and and uh, work in a social services kind of environment. Well, what about volunteers? Because and, and, I used to, uh, I've had a long history as a, uh, like a mobile meals guy. You know, you take the food out mm-hmm. and, and drop it off and, you know, collect the money and come back or whatever. Um, you know, a lot of people were on grants, FEMA grants and that kind of thing. What about uh, volunteers and, and trying to match the, the right person with the right job? 
Absolutely, Mike. That The volunteers are the heartbeat of interfaith community services. Right now, there are around a thousand volunteers that is doing the bulk of the helping um, with, with ICS. So these volunteers do everything from help at the food bank to, to get food out, to answer the phones in the morning for people looking for rent and utility assistance, to doing mobile meals like, like you used to do. Thanks for doing that, by the way. Um, to driving people to uh, appointment, appointments, to doctor's appointments, to uh, the pharmacy. And so these volunteers are out there in the community every day helping huge numbers of people. And so we can't do anything at ICS without the help of all these volunteers. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember having to go through a, a, a limited amount of you know security background and that kind of thing because I was going to be interacting with uh, many of your clients. Uh, what kind of requirements yes. do uh, volunteers uh, need in order to uh, need to meet, rather, uh, in order to participate? Yes. Yeah, so part of it depends on what kind of volunteer work you'd like to do. Um, if you want to volunteer at the food bank, um, you can go to our website, icstucson.org. There's a section there. Uh, it's a Sign Up Genius website where there's certain slots that you can uh, fill in, and you can just put your name on there and show up. If you want to help out with a vulnerable senior, however, and take them uh, on rides alone in your car, we right. do do a background check. We make sure that you have a, sure. a decent driving record yeah. um, and, and, and that sort of thing. And so depending on the, the, the level of interaction that you have with clients, um, the, there will be a, a longer amount of background checks and other kind of things that you'll need to go through. And to find ICS, it's just ICS.org, or what's your what's your URL? ICSTucson.org. Okay, you can find out more about uh, uh, what they're doing. If you knew the old Pueblo, it's a fabulous resource. If you're looking for somebody to uh, you know donate some time to, maybe some cash, uh, it's all there. They have a very highly uh, advanced development program and, and other ways for you know you to kick in everything from plan giving to to uh, you know cutting a check right now. All right, uh, our friend Tim Cromer joining us from ICS this morning, Interfaith Community Services. Thank you for joining us on this portion of Lifestyle Tucson. Thank you so much, Mike. You have a great day. Good morning and welcome to Lifestyle Tucson. My guest for this portion of the program is Lisa Webster. She joins us from Casa de los Niños, a crisis nursery here in the Old Pueblo. began back in 1973. We're going to talk about its origins and what it's become now and what we're looking forward to to 2021. Good morning, Lisa. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. Take us back to 1973, how things all began. Uh, Well, you are right in your introduction that it did begin as a crisis nursery. Um, The the goal was uh, to provide a a safe place to, to take children when they were at risk of abuse or neglect. And over the years, all of those programs have evolved, and we learned that the way to help children is really not to remove them from their families, but to really help the whole family. Um, so we actually, um, just like the rest of the country, moved away from uh, shelters and are creating programs that really help families before that abuse occurs. Mm-hmm. But there are instances where you're pretty much the last resource for a child. Um. Or first and most important resource, I would think. I think that is. I think that is a very true statement. Mm-hmm. Yes, we we try to be the first resource for families, and um, we do have such a wide array of uh, programs now that we can help families 
uh, in a lot of different situations. And again, to really avoid the situation where a child needs to be removed from the home. Mm-hmm. When, when they are removed from the home, um, we focus on foster care now so that the child always can be in a home because that's, that's really the best place for a child. They, they don't do well in congregate care or shelter settings. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, certainly your um, facility has grown and changed into a pretty substantial and dynamic organization right now, particularly in terms of your buildings and so forth. Uh, we are a very large organization, this is true, and um, a large part of our work is behavioral and mental health services, and I can tell you that particularly in this last year, um, the, the mental health of children and young adults has really, that has actually become a real crisis, and um, we have uh, over 50 therapists and, and uh, people that are working really hard to help kids to navigate some of those very challenging mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's so many different things that came out of this pandemic. Uh, how did you feel in terms of being prepared for something like that? <laughs> well, we, we weren't prepared. I don't think anybody was prepared. And yeah. um, we're, we're all still looking around saying, I can't believe we're not looking at a year. Um, you know, when it when it became clear that we had to make some really, you know, 180 adjustments to the way we work, mm-hmm. I will say that um, I will say that even though, you know, maybe mentally it was it was a lot to take on. Um, our organization is strong, and and I was so impressed with the way the the whole staff just came together and. The priority was always to just continue to serve people, to be there for people, and um, you know we've it's been a real it's been a real stretch to find ways to um, get technology to families so that they can communicate mm-hmm. and you know um, continue on in the services that they have, um, and of course you know for all of our staff to have that kind of technology as well. But um, you know it's it's one of those things where when you're in the middle of it, you think. I can't. I can't believe this is happening. Are we doing the right thing? And as I look back at the year, I'm incredibly proud of our organization and of our staff and the way we've come together. Because I, I have to say, um, I don't think we. I don't think we missed a beat with uh, continuing to serve people. Um, so um, you know, we we keep moving on. It it doesn't look to be changing dramatically anytime soon. So we're going to stay this course and. Um, hope that uh, hope that things start to get better with the vaccine. Yeah. We're speaking with Lisa Webster from Casa de los Niños this morning, finding out a little bit about the organization and where it's headed in 2021. One of the things you had to come to terms with in 2020 was uh, dealing with parents as teachers, and you even made a, a program about it. Tell us about that. Oh, well, that's actually a program we've had for some time. Really? Um, that's a pro- uh, yeah, that's actually a program that um, – uh, we have we have several in home programs, and the Parents as Teachers program uh, is a is a incredible resource for families with young children that are trying to make sure that they're going to be ready to start school. And uh, so we have a whole team of people that that go into homes. And again, now with the pandemic, we tend to do most of that virtually. We have a lot of 
a lot of our team that meets on the doorstep of people's homes. Mm-hmm. But um, and they they give them tools to become a teacher for their own children and find ways in the home to find teachable moments and make sure that that uh, kids um, are ready to learn when they start preschool or kindergarten. And also um, these these uh, um, people that uh, the support people that go into the homes are also very good at um, highlighting some other problems mm-hmm. that might be going on and connecting them to other resources that we have in our organization or in the community that will help them to avert any sort of issue, to address developmental issues that may be happening, and um, make sure that the family's empowered to move forward in a really positive way. Mm-hmm. Describe some of those relationships you have with other organizations. I mean, some, you know, there's the old... Uh, it takes a village kind of thing, but uh, in your case, it takes kind of a coalition of, of uh, various resources. Uh, that is true. Boy, you're good at this, Mike. You've, uh, you <laughs> well, I've been around for should, a while. This should, isn't my first cast. You should come on. You should come on board. We have we have openings. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and you know, Tucson is also a, a really um, unique place and a, a really strong community, and um, we all do work very closely together. So we have we have partnerships with, you know, all, so many nonprofits in town. All the names that you would recognize, you know, from places like Child and Family Resources and Emerge Center for Domestic Violence, um, um, uh, El Rio, and then we also, of course, really benefit from relationships with the larger medical centers and um, some of the expertise they can offer and some of the resources they need for their clients and patients that they serve. So it's mm-hmm. a, it's a two way street, but um, you are right that um, we, we, we all, we all benefit when we work more closely together. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the interactions you probably have to deal with is with law enforcement. Tell us about that relationship. Well, um, you know, we we um, I I would say that I think law enforcement is is uh, appreciative and grateful to have a resource like us, mm-hmm. and I know that um, I know that I, I think I can I think I can be confident when I say I think they know that we can always help to de-escalate situations, to address situations in a positive way. Um, I think frequently, especially when younger people are involved or children yeah. witness um, things with that involve law, um, law enforcement, it can be very scary. And so I think we help to navigate some of those feelings and um, build some, some trust. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's, there are times too, when, um, it can be sort of a, a gray picture, I think, for law enforcement as to what's actually happening with a kid. And so I think our expertise can help to shed some light on, you know, maybe it's not what did you do wrong, but what happened to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, it's going to be more and more interesting as, as time goes on here and some of the political developments we've been seeing, particularly with regard to uh, law enforcement and how that's going to change over the future and how it's going to embrace organizations like yourselves in order to do a better job in serving the community. Um, when we start talking about uh, fostering, um, 
that is uh, something that is of desperate need in Arizona. So many kids are out there, and it's it's this huge volume of kids, and it's just getting bigger because of all the hardships and problems imposed by the pandemic. Uh, how is your uh, foster program configured right now in terms of getting people involved and, and moving them forward? Well, um, you are correct that that is always a need, and I think you're right that the need will likely grow uh, in the future. Um, we uh, have a have a large circuit of foster homes that we license and you know, monitor and provide support for. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no question that we are always in very much in need of additional foster homes, particularly for older children or for sibling groups. Um, our our team has, just like our other teams, really had to make some dramatic shifts about how we work safely in this current environment, because as you can imagine, it's really important to have actual eyes on children in that situation. And so we've had to work really hard to make sure that, you know, the families have the kind of um, protective gear that they need Mm -hmm. to still engage with the services. Um, And, you know, the, the good part of the story is that sometimes foster foster homes close because they actually move to permanency with a child. They adopt the child, and that's a great story. But in that situation, it still means that we need additional foster homes. So, um, you know, this is actually a great time, I think, for people to look at their own living situation and their lives and ask Mm -hmm. the question, is this a time that maybe I could create a space in my family and in my home to to, uh, foster a child? We're speaking with Lisa Webster from Casa de los Niños. Uh, about some of the services and programs that they've been offering since 1973 now and moving forward, talking more about fostering. What about that process for people? Um, can you uh, give them a good idea of what they're getting, in terms, getting into in terms of how they're going to be dealing with government in, in this process? Well, I will tell you that I am not the expert in the actual uh, process to become a foster family and I know that you know every every situation has different nuances to it. Um, we do have a good amount of information on our website at casadelosdinos.org, mm-hmm. and we have people um, people in our foster program that can answer all of those questions. There is quite a bit of detail too about the licensing process yeah. and um, you know all of those requirements that's available both on our website and online. Mm-hmm. So. Essentially, you're, you're making people, um, you're giving people an, an environment to work through this process, to answer questions, to um, maybe uh, reveal some things that people hadn't been thinking about even in terms of, you know, what, the, what they're uh, uh, maybe facing and fostering a child. So it's a, a great service. And you have the, what's the Nurse Family Program? Uh, Nurse Family Partnership is a wonderful, it's a national program that we are, um, we are part of. And uh, it's, an, it's another really valuable in-home program. We have uh, nurses that go directly to new moms' homes, and they work with uh, the mother through the pregnancy to ensure that they have a healthy pregnancy, um, that they have resources that they need to address any issues that might be going on. But then the interesting part is that they actually stay with that mother in a partnership for the first two years of the child's life wow. to make sure that the, to make sure that the child is meeting developmental milestones, 
um, having all of the necessary vaccinations that they need, meeting health milestones, but also ensuring that the mother is supported and has what they need and is able, the, the nurse really works to support the mother in their in their goals as a parent, and um, it's, it has absolutely wonderful outcomes. Casa de los Niños has been a gem in our community for children in crisis for many, many years, going on 50 years now. If you'd like to find out more, you can go to casadelosninos.org. Our guest for this part of the program is Lisa Webster from the Casa. Thank you so much, Lisa, and have a good week. Thanks so much, Mike.